American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. There is nothing more important to an American than his car. The car has given us something, as people in the early 20th said, something to work for. It is the most important thing that we buy. And so to understand the car is to understand not just how things are made in capitalism, but also how they are sold, especially in the 20th century. And so in thinking about Ford and General Motors, we are examining two of the most important corporations, not just in making that most important product, the car, but in making modern capitalism. The origins of the car are disputed. There are people in Europe who are building internal combustion engines in the 19th century, Benz, Daimler. And in America, by the 1890s, there are umpteen different mechanics, 30, 40, 50 different companies trying to build an internal combustion engine. Now, what's important about all these companies is that they are luxury goods. They are building unique, one-of-the-kind machines that cannot be reproduced. This changed with Ford. What Ford did was take that luxury good and turn it into an everyday good. Ford as well came out of those garages. He was a mechanic. He was a guy who knew how to build things. And so when you're thinking about the history of Ford, you really have to think it from the production side not from the finance or marketing side, because production to Ford was everything. After he started his company with the investment of $28,000 from 12 partners, he never borrowed any more money from the stock markets again. In fact, by 1920, he had taken his company entirely private. For him, it was about control. It was about control and technical expertise. This was his ultimate dream about the automobile. When Ford introduced the Model T in 1908, it was a result of many years of tinkering in one of those garages. After all, the Model T, T is not the first letter in the English alphabet. What happened to all those first models, A, B, C, F, K, N, R, S, is that they were an evolution in the process of making the Model T. He wrote in 1906, Quote, the greatest need today is a light, low-priced car with an up-to-date engine of ample horsepower and built of the very best material. For him, quality was key, but so was price. And how to reconcile the two is the great question for Ford. He drew upon the dreams of the 19th century, the dreams of economies of scale. The idea that by focusing on one product, he could grow the production such that the unit prices fell and fell and fell, driving down prices for consumers. Now, when we think about the production at Ford, we usually think the assembly line, but this is not how he initially built cars. He initially built his cars like a giant garage would have built them, with giant heaps of materials all strung about the, the work area. And so workers would go to and from these different heaps, grabbing the parts as they needed, assembling the cars on a stand. And though the cars themselves were largely interchangeable, it was still a process that was more rooted in the garage than what we think of as the modern factory. 
An important transition for Ford then was to improve not just what they were building, but how they were building it. And so what they did when they started to really ramp up production for the Model T was to arrange not just the heaps in the correct order of how they were needed, but the machines that would be needed to make the cars. And unlike other kinds of machinists who focused on being flexible and being able to produce lots of different kinds of machines with their tools, Ford really focused on single purpose tools so that he and his team of mechanics were not just making cars, they were making the tools to make the cars. This is what he thought would bring about the greatest efficiency in the production of the Model T. This reorganization of space improved production tenfold, but it was really the invention of the assembly line that really transformed Ford's production methods. The idea came from William Klan, who was the head of the engineer department. And in fact, it wasn't even his idea. The idea occurred to him when he was touring a meatpacking house in Chicago. He thought as he toured the plant, how he saw the racks and racks and racks of pigs being slaughtered on hooks, sliding down gravity slides. He thought, if they can disassemble pigs, then we can assemble cars. Assembly lines were different though, because they were powered. This is a tremendous transformation. These older forms were all about disassembly and these were about putting things together and coordinating workers across many different components of a car. And first of all, they were powered. So it meant that you could actually move the parts to the worker themselves. And not just the parts that's being assembled, but also the components. And so it's not just about a one directional line, but multiple lines intersecting, controlling the workflow in the factory. And that's what it's really about. It's about speed. And as these different assembly lines begin to pick up pace, begin to coordinate the work across the factory, they can very quickly see where and when bottlenecks were occurring in the production system thus enabling Ford mechanics to develop new machines and techniques to speed up production further. And so the assembly line was similar to what had come before, but it was also new. And it enabled and spurred Ford to produce more and more and more. We know that the very first component of the Model T that was assembled on the assembly line was something called a magneto. Magnetos were a small part of the car that created a spark for the gas in a time before reliable electrical systems. And so the magneto was a crucial part of the car. And before the assembly line, guys would sit around assembling the magnetos all day long. The 29 workers in the magneto assembly made 35 or 40 magnetos a day. When they were rearranged into the assembly line, the same 29 workers made 1,200 magnetos a day. It went from 35 magnetos to 1,200 magnetos every day without adding any additional workers. That's a tremendous transformation in productivity. And similar amounts of productivity and efficiency were gained throughout the Ford plant as these new assembly lines were introduced. By 1914, all the production of the Model T was done on the assembly line. When the Model T was first introduced, and there was just a static assembly with workers coming to and from the car back and forth to their heaps, it took 12 and a half hours to build a car. 
1914, after the introduction of the assembly line, an entire Model T could be built in less than 30 minutes. The work at the Ford plant then was very repetitive. And in the early teens, turnover was about three to 400% per year. That meant that Ford had to replace the entire workforce four times a year, or basically once every three months. This is incredibly inefficient, especially after 1914, when the assembly line produces everything. Because in an assembly line, if you don't show up to work, it's not just that they don't have your labor, you in fact shut down the whole system of production. And so what's the choice there for Ford? Either to pay the worker so much that he can never ever skip work, or give up on the entire factory. And so in 1914, Ford introduces the $5 day, which is about double the prevailing market wage. And the idea here is that no one will ever skip work, ever. People will show up sick, they'll show up tired, and the assembly line will go on. Now after the $5 day is introduced, of course, it's celebrated as a sign of the beneficence of Henry Ford, of a new era of labor and capital accord. And he even himself talks about it that way, as a way to talk about making sure that Ford workers can buy Ford cars. He's celebrated in America as someone who brought not only cheap cars, but a new way out of the conflicts of the 19th century. By the 1920s, a poll of college students found him the third most important person in human history, behind, of course, Jesus Christ and Napoleon. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Mm -hmm.